Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. So, we're in an interesting season. There is always seasons uh, in a body of Christ, and, and like what, sometimes what you will find is God will take a church through a season to lay a foundation, and the foundation that was laid is either built on or always maintained, even when they begin to go through other seasons. So for, so for us, right, in the past, we have been extremely community-minded. We've always been a family. Westside has always been a family church. And in past seasons, there have been uh, focal points or focuses on, you know, community events, community outreaches, going beyond our four walls and really putting an emphasis on Wasco specifically, but yet even, uh, you know, focus on Shafter, Lost Hills, Santa Paula, uh, and so forth. And we have gone through something that has... uh, really forced a focal change here, uh, not only at our church, but at a lot of, lot of churches. I don't know what they're doing. This is something the Lord is leading me to do. But we have started to just really focus on family. I really believe, I would go beyond believing in my position, I would say I know that there is a need for us to kind of regain some strength and develop some re-stabilization as a family church. That one of the byproducts of what we've gone through over the past year and a half has been an absolute, you know, face punch or sucker punch on the church family. Church family as we are here today church family as individual families that make up the overall church family. And I feel with all my heart and all my need for that we are going into a season where we really focus on the strength of us as individual, individual families and then us as a family of Christ, a family of God. And so us as leaders... We've already started putting our mind together and started thinking about what needs to happen, what, what can we do, what is some things that, that, that can take place to cause us to come together, to reconnect us, strengthen us uh, as a church family, but also as individual families. And if you really think about it, over the past year and a half, there has been an enforcement of isolation. And in the very beginning, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And yes, he was talking about a singular man, but yet when you dive into the principles of that, you begin to realize whether it be an individual or whether it be one family unit, isolation too long begins to uh, turn into dysfunction because we are made to support one another. We are made to strengthen one another. We are made to help one another pray for one another and be there with one another, not just within the context of our singular families. So we have some things, so 
coming up, and one of the things that I, I, I really want is for us to have some family fun again. So along with our gatherings, our services, uh, we're going to start having some events that will allow us to have some fun together. We are initiating uh, small groups again, uh, and you will be hearing uh, more, about, more about that uh, here in the very soon future. But I'm wanting to say this to you as, as pastor, because for you to realize our heart, where we are at right now, and really our, our focal point. One of the things that happens in church circles, and I, I, I don't always like the question, is what is your vision? What is your vision? What is your vision? It's like a stinking, you know, broken record. What is your vision? What is your vision? And sometimes you just get tired of hearing that question from other leaders. What is your vision? You're like, my vision is just to love, serve, and, and change people's life with the power of God, you know, and not be so Mm, what is your vision? Lay it out in five points so we can make this happen because we're so different than a business or an organization. But I can honestly say at this point and at this time, God has dropped a vision, a sight, a goal, a focal point, and that is for us to reestablish ourselves as Westside Family Fellowship. Are you hearing me this morning? So at the end of August, we're actually going to have, it's not labeled this, but for lack of better terms, I'm going to call it this, we're going to have a family carnival. So we're going to, be, we're going to have a day that we come together, and, and the community will be invited also, but the focal point is us and our families here at the church. So we're going to be bringing in a whole bunch of blow-ups, we're going to be having a pickleball, we're going to do cornhole, uh, all sorts of things going on, you know, food, beverages, just uh, a, a, a lot of a lot of fun. Uh, I was walking uh, past the toy section. My little girl still likes to go look at toys in any store we go to that has toys. So I was walking past the toy section and I seen, you know, a, a whole section of Legos. How many of you love Legos? How many of you hate Legos? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Uh, but how many of you enjoy the time with your children when you are doing a Lego project? Some of you? Okay. So just an idea that, that we have, and I'm just throwing some examples out, is to have a family Lego night where you and your family will go pick up your own Lego box, and we come to the church, and we have some fun, some food and drinks, and, and I don't know, TV and stuff going, and let's all come together and build Legos together. Uh, you know, each family building their own little Lego together. Uh, so we, we have ideas for other, you know, for game nights like, you know, we, we had in the past. My point this morning to start this thing off is we, there is a great need for us to be a family again. And let me just declare something. COVID is not going to affect us from this point forward as it has affected us from this point in our past. It's just not, I'm not going to allow it, and I don't care if it's just me and 12 other people here. I'm not going to allow the effect of it inside this place of worship, inside this place of extension families, uh, like it did over the past year and a half. Okay? I just, I just want to make that clear, because I have people come up to me all the time. How about, the, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? For me, it's, I put my faith in Jesus. And I see the need and I recognize the need. 
for us to be a family unit again because I've been dealing with too much dysfunction. You, don't, you just don't know how much dysfunction me and Lorana is dealing with right now when it comes to family matters. You guys have your own life, but we have our life and a whole bunch of other people's lives. And we are dealing with so much dysfunction in family units right now. It, it's really a tragedy. It's, so, it, it's very disturbing. And a lot of it is rooted in what has taken place over the past year and a half. And as a faith leader, as a, a pastor of a church, the Bible labels me as a shepherd. A shepherd is a type of protector of their sheep. And I got to do what I got to do to at least offer an opportunity for our families, families to have uh, some protection when it comes to a certain aspect of their life. Am I making sense this morning? Yes. Amen. So in the word of tragedy, I'm not talking about tragedies today. I'm talking about family protection. I'm talking about this because of the tragedy that we experience here, as a, here in this community at the beginning of this past week. I'm not going to go into the details of this. I don't want to rehash the, the facts of this past tragedy. But I do want to make it a point to bring it out to, for you to realize the importance of what I'm going to be saying this morning. So as a community, we experienced a tragedy. It is a community tragedy, but yet it is an even greater family tragedy. So we have two families. We have the family of the police officer, and we have the family of, of the, the Ramirez family that has experienced absolute tragedy. It's affected us as a community, but their lives has been forever altered in a very tra tragic and horrific sense. And if you're wondering, us as a church, we've already reached out. We've reached out to both families and we've done things for both families already. We did that the day after. I know there was an announcement on some social platform about if you need, if you want to help do this and this, we already did it. We, our, our feet was already on the ground running uh, as soon as we caught wind of what was occurring. But when you look at that, most of us, or us, will most likely, going off of statistics, will most likely never experience that level of tragedy. That level of tragedy is an exception to the rule, specifically in small town America. You know, I asked Gary, have you ever, has this community has ever faced something on this level? And he said, no, not that he remembers. Gary, you've been living here a long time, haven't you? Not to pick on your age or anything, but you've been here a while. 69 years. Wow, that's true local. But just because, according to statistics and the averages, just because we most likely will not experience a tragedy on that level, it doesn't mean, number one, 
that it couldn't happen to any of us because the worst of the worst could always happen to any of us. But also, it doesn't mean on a, on, on a lesser level and in a lesser degree that there is other types of tragedies that we are exempt from that won't happen in our life. Just because the worst type of tragedy may not happen doesn't mean other types of tragedies won't happen. Now, some tragedies will occur in spite of what we do. Because bad things happen to good people. It's a byproduct of living in a world that is plagued and cursed by the operation of sin. Not meaning that the person, a good person that experiences tragedy has hidden sin in their life. I don't, I don't do that. I don't point my finger and, oh, that person's experienced something bad. They got a hidden sin. That's, that's baloney. Can you say baloney? That's baloney. What I'm meaning is just sometimes good people experience bad things in spite of them being good just because we live in a cursed world. Some of you, without me calling names, you have experienced tragedy and it had nothing to do with your choices, hidden sins, or anybody singling you out. You just experienced a tragedy. But then... There is other tragedies that does occur in our life. And they can be a byproduct of one's choices. Whether that be choices to do something or choices not to do something. And I don't know about you, but a a lot of the choices I make is not because I think the worst is going to happen. A lot of choices I make in my life is, is just to be prepared for if the worst thing does happen. Does that make sense? So I don't lock my door because I actually think someone's going bust to in, bust in when I go to bed, you know, that night. But I lock my door because I do know that there is a very small possibility that someone could come in my come in my house while we are asleep and inflict harm on me and my family. Do I really think it's going to happen? No, I don't think it's going to happen. But could it happen? Yes, it could happen. So I take these precautions just in case of the what if. So this morning, I, I, I want to share five things. I'm, I'm not going to be long on each of these things. It's, my goal is to have you out of here. Uh, 15, 20 minutes after 11, you might, you might, I might should say by 11.30, make myself a liar. I always lie to you. I'm sorry. Every time I say, I'm just going to keep it short. After service, I have to kneel down before Jesus and say, please forgive me. I lied to my church. I don't really do that. <laughs> but I do make myself a, let's call it an innocent liar. All right? I, I am an innocent liar sometimes on Sundays when I say, I'm going to keep it short today and it's 45 minutes long. Not that you didn't need it. You probably needed it, but uh, none, I need it. So I'm preaching to myself most of the time. I just don't preach to you. I preach to me too. Anyway, I, I, I want to 
go over five things that allows family protection, not from a, a, a logical standpoint, which, which these are very logical, but, but from a scriptural standpoint. I, I'm not up here to, to, to give you some pointers that I read in a magazine or that I learned in, in, in some of my, my missional efforts. Uh, I, I, I want to give you some protection that comes from scripture, which offers the best kind of protection for our family. Amen. So this is number one, knowing the battle is spiritual, number one. If you don't know the battle you're in, you're not going to be able to fight in the battle. It's very simple. So Ephesians 6.12 says this, for our struggle, our fight, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if I really wanted to break that down, which I have on a Wednesday before, uh, I just want you to know this, that there is levels of spiritual forces that we deal with. And when you, when you break and you get in, when you really get inside the guts or the structure of this scripture, you see these levels. There are rulers, there are authorities, there are powers in, from a dark world, like a dark domain. And there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So just like God has levels of angels, there is a very structured, angelic uh, culture that we have in the unseen realm. Satan has a structure of demonic forces and powers. A really quick example. So the disciples couldn't cast the devil out of somebody. And they asked Jesus why. And Jesus said, these kind can only come out through much prayer and fasting. These kind. So he singled these kind out. And it gives us insight into the fact that there is different kinds of spiritual forces that we have to deal with. Depending on the force that you're having to fight determines what you have to do in the battle. Some battles simply require pray. Some battles simply require quoting the word. Some battles simply require getting another brother or sister in Christ and you coming together and binding up the work of the enemy. Some battles require prayer and fasting. Some battles we require exorcisms. So there's these various levels of evil forces that we that causes us to exercise different levels of spiritual warfare. But when we are Speaking in the context of protecting our family, what we have to realize first and foremost is that the battle that, the first battle that we and our family will fight is a spiritual battle. That there is demonic forces that tries to influence, tries to tempt, tries to control, 
and even tries to use other people to inflict harm and disarray into our family. That's why I'm a big believer in knowing who your kids are hanging with. I'm a big believer in husbands knowing who their wives hang with. I'm a big believer in wives knowing who their husbands hang with. Because the enemy can work through another soul to gain access into the soul or the mind of one of our family members. And if you don't know who your family member is hanging with, you don't know what kind of spirit they are being influenced by and what kind of spirit is trying to come inside your family to wreak havoc. Are you hearing me this morning? Number two, resist the devil. Chapter, sorry, Corinthians 2, chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. This backs Ephesians 6, 12 up. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's another message within itself. But please know this today. The power in you is a power that can demolish. I love the term right there, demolish. Can you say demolish? Demolish strongholds. So you don't ever have to live with the devil controlling you. Because in you is an authority and a power to demolish. It doesn't say just to, oh, to demolish a sin or to demolish, to demolish the devil, but to demolish a stronghold. What is a stronghold? It is something in your life that you are weak to. It is something in your life you have a hard time saying no to. It is something in your life that the enemy controls you by or tries to control you by. It is a crack. It is an open door. Is it an open window? It is an opportunity that the enemy gets inside you with, not inside as far as possession, but gets inside your business with. It's a stronghold. It's a domain that he tries to occupy. Sometimes we have strongholds because of generational curses. Sometimes we have strongholds because of choices. Sometimes we have strongholds just because there's things that we like that we shouldn't like and we say yes to when we shouldn't say yes. So they become a stronghold. But we don't have to have these strongholds because it says right here that we have weapons in us that can demolish can you say one more time? Demolish strongholds. Number five, we, verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So again, number two is resist the devil. The greatest, one of the greatest weapons that we have in, in, in the work of the enemy against our family is resistance. Just simply, what's your phrase, Dovey? Not today, Satan. 
that several of our couples uh, went to Nashville for vacation here recently, and uh, you know what they sent me a picture of? A trophy that says, not today, Satan. <laughs> Who, wh what country artist restaurant it was? Blake Shelton, you know, the country star and, and the voice guy, yeah? He had a restaurant that had a trophy in it that said, not today, Satan. I thought that was fun. If I would have thought beforehand, I would have showed it, but. That is one of the greatest ways to protect our family is simply by saying no. Not just saying no to yourself, but saying no to your kids. Saying no to your husband, saying no to your wife. I made a bad mistake when Koa was about six years old. He's been a video game lover ever since he was little. It started with Wii, you know, the Nintendo Wii's, and it transitioned into Xbox and all that. And I, I, I'm just not into video games, but there was this one game I actually liked. And just the, it, it, the, the, the art behind it and the action, it was a shooter game. And so I, I, I was like, you know, instead of me watching TV at night, because I'm just really not a big TV watcher, get bored with it, so maybe I can play some games or something like that, you know. And, and so I, I, was, I would play this game, and then Koa saw it, and Koa wanted to play. And I, for the longest, I was like, no, no, no. And then finally, I, I started giving in. I say, okay, you can play it, but, you know, I'll, I'll change the volume to where the, 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 the language is, is, isn't as mature. And my mindset was, hey, I was... Literally, I was raised with guns, so I, I think, I, my, you know, I started shooting guns, uh, I started going with my grandfather hunting uh, when I was in kindergarten, so, you know, I, I just had them my whole life uh, in a very healthy way, and it was, it was really for provision more than anything. Uh, it wasn't really for sport, or, uh, it, you know, it, yeah, we knew it was for, for protection, but we lived in a small country town in Mississippi, and we didn't really worry about, you know, too much crime. And in my mindset, this is the modern version of your, of, of your kids playing with guns. Not playing with guns, but shooting guns, you know, through a video game. And I started letting him play with me. And Lorana was like, no, no, this is too violent. There is too much action. I was like, they're not killing humans. They're killing, like, monsters and aliens and psychos and uh, all this crazy stuff. She's like, no, he is not to do that. Well, you know, I, 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 I pulled the... I pulled the dad and husband card, and I was like, it is okay for him to do this. We're going to do this. Well, long story short, fast forward a few months, and he had a little episode with his sister. And it, we were working in the church. This is when we lived in Santa Paula. We were working in the church, and next thing I know, you know, all hell was breaking loose in the house. And uh, he had picked up something to do harm to his sister. I don't even want to say what it is. But he picked up an object to do harm to his sister, and his sister locked herself in the bathroom. And when that happened, that became an eye-opener to me. Number one, my wife was right, and that was, that was humbling. I had to go back and say, I know, I, I should have listened to you, dear. That, that was the worst part of it. That was like, oh! What red-blooded American Southern man wants to go to their wife and say, I was wrong, honey. 
I had a... So in that moment, I, I, I learned really fast that the no's or the yeses of your spouse is really important. And exist and knowing the potential and no to your kids. Koa can be an absolute, like a stubborn pit bull. Like when he gets on something, he won't stop. He's like this. He's so uh, tenacious is my word. So when he was young, it was nonstop, tenacious, tenacious. And I just gave in to him playing games. And and I learned it didn't end up bad because we banned those types of games uh, for quite a few years, he wasn't able to play shooter games until he was about 13, and even then, it was uh, more on the light level. He wasn't able to play more hardcore shooter games and, and until even a few, just a, really a few years ago. And I, I, I learned really a, a really important lesson that could have ended bad. Not that I hadn't learned it before, but it really stood out to me. To resist even saying yes when you want to say yes and say no even when that no makes you the bad dad or the bad mom or the uncool dad or the uncool mom. Just no. You don't even have to have an explanation. No. Those of us who was raised old school, I was raised old school. Like if my dad said no, there was no questioning and he would just simply say, because I said so. And if you ask again... I ain't going to say what he said to me because it, it, it would be considered abuse in nowadays standards. <laughs> Verbal abuse, it wasn't, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So resisting the enemy in so many ways. I mean, I, I don't want to go through all the ways we, we, we would be here for a, a long period saying no. Resisting the enemy. Number three is is uh, taking thoughts captive. Let's just jump back up to the end of, of the verse I just read. Uh, at the end of it, it says, and, and it's talking about how, how, we're, how we fight, how we protect, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Man, this is such a big one. I, I, I love what Jesus did in his ministry. He just didn't tackle the action, but he tackled the heart behind the action when he ministered. So when they begin to ask Jesus about adultery, he not only condemned that practice, but he even condemned the thought of that practice. And, in, and, and, and indirectly and technically, he was teaching this right here. He was teaching, taking thoughts captive. Don't just say no to an act that could potentially damage you, your marriage, your kids, your life, your future. But learn how to take the thoughts captive. And you imprison those thoughts. And you put those thoughts in a dungeon, mental dungeon, way outside of your line of imagination. Don't just say no to the action. Say no to the thought of the action. 
Don't just say no. But say no to the imagination of it. And it says it right here. It teaches us in Scripture that we can take every thought captive and make it obedient unto Christ. How do we protect our families? It's not thinking, not meditating, not allowing in our mind any actions or any choices or any possible experiences that could find themselves inside of our family wreaking havoc. Don't fear don't just say no to drugs. Don't even think about getting high, stoned, or tripping. Don't just say no to violence. Don't even think about that person that's making you mad. Don't just say no to lust. Don't even think about the imagery that is behind the lust. Don't just say no to that person that is trying to win you over, but don't even think about that person. Don't even go near that person. Don't even have a conversation with that person. Take every thought captive. Control it. It's not enough just saying no to the action itself because the enemy knows how to work. How did the enemy first work Eve? He didn't first work her by just saying, hey, take a bite. He worked Eve by getting inside of her thought process, causing her to realize she wouldn't really die and how she could possibly be on the same level of God. He got... He was able to get her thinking, thinking, thinking. What did she not do? She did not take those thoughts captive. And what happened to her? What happened after her? With her husband. What happened after her husband? Cain. Enable. All because the faults was not taken captive. Number four. 1 Peter 5 8. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, sinking someone to devour. Two things here, two points. This is number four and five. Four is be sober-minded. In other words, I've got to keep putting these up. Not being mentally consumed so we are unaware of what's happening or could happen. Not being caught up in work. Not being caught up in our own personal interest. Not being so caught up of putting more money in the bank. Climbing the corporate ladder. Not being so caught up in ourselves. 
that we just don't even see, we just don't even realize what is going on around us. What is going on with our children? What is going on in our marriage? What is going on in our families? But be sober-minded. In other words, not to be intoxicated by anything in our mind. And how easy is it for the enemy to come in and intoxicate us with the cares of this world? Right? Am I the only one? And I, I, I can tell you from experience, when we are intoxicated by the cares of the world, there is open doors, open opportunity for the enemy to come in and establish a possible tragedy in our family. What are you thinking too much about? What are you consumed too much about? What is taking the majority of your mental energy and your mental time? Are you intoxicated mentally? So you don't have the strength and the power to overcome the work of the enemy in your life. Last one, number five. Be watchful. What did we teach our kids to do before they crossed the road? This past Friday, my little daughter's eight years old, and we, uh, I, I told her this ever since she was, she was able to walk and cross the street with me. Even holding my hands. Let's watch. So she, she, she jumped out of the truck, was heading across the street. Or, no, no, we was walking from one place to the next. And she just walked like right, and, right, right, right through the parking lot where the, where, you know, the, the driving lanes w- without right or without left. And I already knew, I already knew Nothing was coming because before she even got to that point, I was looking. And, I, and, you know, that's kind of what God does for us. Before we even get to a point, he's already looking for us. And if he sees something, he's going to tell us. And it's our job to listen and obey. But I immediately, hey, Abigail, what, 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 what did you just do? And what were you supposed to do? And, of course, we went through this dialogue of being watchful. fifth way to protect our family is to be watchful of what's coming down the lanes that could possibly create tragedy in our family's lives. Watchful of those relationships. Watchful of what's being looked at. Watchful of that attitude. Watchful of sudden changes in characteristics. Watchful of changes in languages. Watchful of interest. Watchful of disinterest. Watchful. So the five things that will help protect us 
is knowing is spiritual. Resisting Satan. Taking thoughts captive. Being sober-minded. And being watchful. It's, it's not really rocket science, is it? It's not really, like, it's not complicated. I'm not saying it's not easy, but it's not complicated. What could have been prevented this past week if one or all of these five principles could have been applied or lived by. What past tragedies that maybe you've gone through that you didn't have to go through could have been prevented if one or all of these protective principles could have been applied to your family's life. Something the enemy has done is he's always targeted family units from day one. Always. That was his agenda because it's God's agenda. When he blessed Adam and Eve and he gave them a directive, it was really based off of family. It was about the development of family the blessing of family, the increase of family, the establishment of family. You, 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 you cannot dig into the corridors or the structure of, uh, of the Garden of Eden story without seeing family being a purpose from God. And you cannot get an understanding of how Satan attacks and what he does and then begin to realize that his, one of his sole purposes is the destruction and the breakdown of the family unit. It is our job, our, our primary, number one job in this world, in our faith, is our family. My primary job is not to preach to you, but my primary job is to protect my family. Your primary job on your journey of faith is not to come to church, but it's to take, protect your family. It's not to fulfill your call to ministry. It's not to fulfill your purpose from God. It's to take care of your family. That is number one. Number one. Because if we, don't, well, if we don't do this, then we're going to begin to experience a domino effect of tragedies. Because sin produces sin, and sin creates tragedy. So in the very beginning, there was an order of sins that established an order of tragedies. Let me just read them to you. So number one, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Then they ran and hid from God. 
After they ran and hid from God, then they begin to blame each, they begin to blame another on their sin. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. They were kicked out of the garden, booted out of the presence of God. And then Cain began to not worship God the right way. Why did Cain not worship God the right way? Because there's a disconnect from, from humanity and God. Because Cain did not worship God the right way, he did not have a proper relationship with God. And because he didn't have a proper relationship with God, his heart was wide open to sin. And so when God accepted Abel's worship, Cain became jealous over Abel. Because Cain became jealous over Abel, even though God warned him and said, a sin is crouching and desire is, is crouching, waiting for you and desires you. Out of his jealousy came murder. He murders his brother. After he murders his, his brother, he was, he was then sent out another level out of the presence of God. The Bible says that he began to start a city. And when you begin to realize what he did and what, what his children and grandchildren did after him, you begin to realize that a civilization was developed, but yet this civil, civilization was a civilization that was constructed outside and without the worship, the acknowledgement, and the embracing of God himself. So it was a very paganistic, anti-God civilization. And one of his grandsons within that civilization lost his temper because of an accident that a young man had and actually killed that young man. So we see another tragedy. And then for a while, quite a few years actually, after that, we come to Noah and in the Noah story, we see that God looked down and he looked throughout the earth that was highly influenced by the civilization of Cain. And he looked and he said that there is no righteous. It is full of violence. And he says that he regrets that he even created it. And then that's when he chose Noah, the one righteous, and did what he did. I read, I gave you this order for you to see an order of tragedies. That is a byproduct of an order of sins. That is a byproduct of not exercising the five principles that we just discussed today. Knowing it's spiritual, resisting Satan, taking thoughts captive, being sober-minded, being watchful. If we do not apply these to our life, then we stand a chance for sin to set into our family unit and the, out, the aftermath or the outcome could be a tragedy or tragedies. It could be pluralistic. Some tragedies, like I said in the beginning, we can't help. They happen. I don't know about you if I can prevent and stop my family from going through a tragedy then I sure 
want to do my part as the head of my household and as the leader of this church. What you do is on your terms. It's up to you. Moms and dads, what you don't do is also on your hands. And God forbid if there is the blood of innocent on your hands because we didn't carry out principles that could have protected our families. We have to protect our families. We have to stand guard over our families so that there are less tragedies that occur of the ones in the ones that we love the most. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.